Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Sign, everybody. My name is Ron Cecil. What's up, Ron Cecil? This is uh, something, an episode we haven't, a kind of episode we haven't done in a while, which is to bring on a guest again. Motherfucking repeat. <laughs> is, is it a repeat or is it a part due? Oh, that's a good question. Well, that actually brings up a subject that I was wanting to ask you about because. You know, I want to leave. The, the reason we're doing this is because the sound quality wasn't that great on the first time we did. We had a we had an internet connection issue, and it caused some some marbles to suddenly appear in David Haynes' mouth. Uh, <laughs> and we were like more like cotton. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was like, like he was in the witness protection was, program. <laughs> we, were, we were hiding his identity. <laughs> By the way, speaking of which, one of our two guests from now, they'd never appear on camera, and they sent me a thing. They said, "I'll I'm going to." I'm going to backlight my myself harshly, and so it's going to be like witness protection. We're not going to be able to see him. I'm so into that. Yeah, I meant to. I'm tell way you into that. that. <laughs> Good for him, should, should, or you're gonna them, or her, whoever they are. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, um, yeah, so it'll be our witness protection person. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was unintentional, but uh, so we decided to um, leave it up to them, and we asked them if they would like to, and they said, "I would love to re-record." But then after that, I was like. Yeah, but let's keep it up. <laughs> so, so we're gonna keep that other one up. Direct people to this episode if they're not into the sound. I've been listening to it; it's not as bad as I thought, but it's it's definitely not that great. But it doesn't um, sound like David. Is I that's think the thing? Part, it part sound of the like big David. thing. Yeah, it sounds like he's doing a really like rough impression of of like Marlon Brando at the end of Apocalypse Now or something. <laughs> it's not good. So, anyway, so with that said, I guess it is a part due. Yeah. Yeah. So you found this guy, if we, if people haven't heard this before, he's a, he's a, uh, a celebrated artist in Europe. He's from England originally creates hyper. I would, I mean, this, I'm going to use my words rather than what art critics say, because I think, cause you don't know them. Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to use those words, even if I did know them. <clears throat> you just stay away from them. That's craft. That's a good way when you don't know a lexicon or a, like some jargon to just to make it look like you, you do know it, but you're going to choose to know it. Well, I don't, I don't know it. <laughs> and and more than that, I read art, art critics reviews of things and I'm like, I don't know what that means. So I want to use my words oh. to hope uh, in hopes of helping the layman who enjoy art like I do. I feel like I really do enjoy art. I just don't know what the hell's going on. <clears throat> so he creates hyper realistic almost photo quality images that he then creates portions of that image to be kind of distorted. So like it's it's almost as if there's a hyperrealistic photo and then there's a portion of it that's like out of out of focus or scratched sometimes somehow. Sometimes he does that. Yeah, sometimes he does that. Yeah. 
he doesn't do that in all of them. And I, <clears throat> I'm still getting down the difference between photorealism and hyperrealism. Oh, what is um, the difference? <clears throat> well, when you have you ever fucking seen a a hyperrealist paint? It's, it's I, I I remember seeing. It was actually in college. Someone had painted a, a scene of just a street, like looking straight down a street, yeah. and you could see the gravel, look the, the blacktop, and then the, and then the gutter, and then the sidewalk, and everything. And I and I and it said this is a, a painting, and I just kept looking at it, like going, "What? Like this doesn't?" My brain broke. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm just telling, like, sharing my take yeah. on it. But hyperrealists, it's like you're doing a museum dose of dose of mushrooms. It looks. It looks real, obviously, but it looks a little bit like something's affecting you a little bit. So, is it kind of like <clears throat> watching a DVD on like Ultra HD at home on a big TV? <laughs> yeah. You remember the first time you saw something like that? You're like, what? This doesn't even look, this is yeah. like left reality. Yeah. There's, there's a hyper realist that I check out on Instagram. And, and I think most hyper realists do this. They'll take, they take one hair of the paintbrush and they cut it off with scissors and then they drag that one hair through the oil paint, and then they make hairs on a lion or on a on a on a human that's that's what they do hmm. it's it's unbelievable man and their brushes are like micros microscopic hmm. you know it's amazing one person this last semester i think i joked about this on another one of our episodes called my stuff hyper realist and i was just like inside i like kind of chuckled i was like no it's not <laughs> it's far from it baby far from it but i don't know if you consider himself a hyper realist i don't i would guess not because and I, I i almost say it's almost like there's this judge is like a minor little snotty judgment that i've i've heard oh you're um, very judgy with with this stuff with the no, terms <laughs> oh sorry you're talking about somebody you're else such a dick, dude. <laughs> fuck yourself <laughs> But uh, I've heard a little bit of snidiness around like hyperrealists toward hyperrealists, almost like it's, and almost like it, it's like it's it's just they go too far. It's like huh. why, you know? So some people kind of like, you know, at it. But I, I'm I'm not really that into it to be honest. It's not it's not really my thing. I I am when I do see it, it just kind of, oh, it boggles my mind just the the level of work. Wow. Well, we're we're about to. He's here, but before we jump in. On this, you know, part due, what are you looking for? What are you cutting for a sign for? I would like to, I listened to our episode and I would just like to more fully appreciate and enjoy the experience of speaking with someone who's much further down a path that I am taking an, an analogous, my version path. Yeah. Um, and because I, when I was listening to us all speak, I was like, wow, this guy gets it. And, and I, I, I'm just so grateful that he's coming on here. And I want to pick up the threads of our last conversations and just take them further. And, and, and that's, that's, it's pretty much it, mate. How about you? Well, the last time I was in a situation where I couldn't feel like I could land myself because of where mm -hmm. I was and how I was speaking. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting in, jumping all the in. way in. You know, drop. I, I want to get my head wet. That's what I want to do. Like all the way on the water, underwater. Enjoy it. Can I read uh, the quote of the sode? I got another quote for us. Yeah. Not to say this will apply later, but it's about art, and I fucking love it. 
and I cannot remember who wrote it. Whoops. We are not transparent to ourselves. We have intuitions, suspicions, hunches, vague musings, and strangely mixed emotions, all of which resist simple definition. Then, from time to time, we encounter works of art that seem to latch on to something we have felt but never recognized clearly before. Alexander Pope identified a central function of poetry as taking thoughts we experience as half-formed and giving them clear expression. What was often thought, but ne'er so well expressed. In other words, a fugitive and elusive part of our own thinking, our own experience, is taken up, edited, and returned to us better than it was before, so that we feel, at last, that we know ourselves more clearly. Hmm. I like that. It reminds me of the T.S. Eliot um, Four Quartets. Oh, really? Which part? Mm-hmm. The last part about knowing ourselves more clearly. Um, it's it's it, if that's a function of art, what what better function can there be? Most, yeah. Especially when you mix in the experience of beauty. You know? Yeah. Anyways. Can you do? Can you lower your microphone to the bottom of your chin for me? Yeah. Thanks. Perfect. That way. That way, your voice doesn't pop or get muffly. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I wish you. I wish you knew who was who who said that, so we could have him on. <laughs> Did you write it yourself? <laughs> you know what? I think that was from Iron John. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. Huh. Did you write it down somewhere? You read it and then you write it down? I do, yeah. I write, I write, I write quotes down from stuff that I, that I read or listen to. I respect that. Morgan does that too. Well, cool. the, idea, the end game is to memorize them, or at least parts of them. It's going to sound weird, but I think that's why I like you so much, because Morgan does the same thing, and I admire that a lot in her. Mm. And she tries, to, she tries to memorize stuff like that as well. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let David in and have a great conversation with him. Sounds great. David Haynes, you are a British Dutch artist based in Amsterdam. You studied in London and Amsterdam and your mediums include graphite, paint, moving image, text, and music. You work, your work was recently showcased at the British Museum in London, and in the past has been shown in Amsterdam, Edinburgh, Estonia, Istanbul, Hong Kong, and New York. David, you believe that drawing and painting are media that liberate the image from the dehumanized abstraction of its digitally, digital reproducibility, that there are deeply psychological reasons why we return time and again to singular images in our digitally saturated society, and that it is the handmade image in all its materiality that offers us the closeness we desire. You value what we what you refer to as the index, the mark we make, if we wish, leave, uh, that we leave behind. That is to say, our trace, those footprints on the beach, that smoke that signified our fire, the cave paintings through the whole history of art, the singular experience and pulse of people leaving their trace behind, though they are no longer there. Hi, David. Welcome to Cutting for Sun. Welcome back to Cutting for Sun. Hi, Daniel. Thanks. It's nice to speak to you again. Thank you for the intro. Absolutely. I hope I can do it justice with my yeah. post-Christmas brain. Well, <laughs> I know you can do it justice because all of that was either taken from things you've written or from what things you said on the last time you were on here. So, <laughs> right. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But really, really uh, happy to be here. And last time, um, you know, we had some editing, some connection issues that, that caused us yeah. to end up here again. And then, um, and then Ron also had to had to bail early. So I'm really happy to have all three of us here. We've we've looked forward and really enjoyed what we did. We actually spoke at length in our um, field dressing last time, which is a little segment we do after each show. Right. And it was really neat to see how much and what Ron got out of it. And Ron, why don't you lead this? I know there were some things that you wanted to okay. get into. I'm going to ask you such a grotesque question to kick off, <laughs> kick this off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so shallow. <laughs> but how stoked were you when, when you found out you were going to be in the British Museum? Oh. Um, I, I, I stoked. Maybe you could explain that. that word, well, I mean, Daniel shaking his head. I know. I'm being facetious. When I when I lived in the UK, I I was very excited how how the the museums were free to get into, and so I, every time I went mm -hmm. to London, because I I lived up in Birmingham, uh, working in the right. car industry there, and any time I could like justify a trip to London, I would spend as much time as I could in the museums because they're free to get into. And mm -hmm. I, I never felt pressure to, you know, get my money's worth or whatever. I would just no. stay in there. But but something that has always stood out to me is like those museums are world class. I mean if I always mm -hmm. said that if if um London felt like the the maybe you disagree with this, but it doesn't matter. But London felt like the capital of the world to me. Right. And okay. and the museums felt like the um, a collection of what the earth is about and what humanity yeah. is about. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, the, to, is I, there? I think the nice thing, about, the, the nice thing about that, the free that you can go into all the museums for free is that you can you can go and just look at one thing and leave. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I was a student there for, and I lived there for about five or six years. And you, I could just go into the National Gallery and look in, and they used to have this, the Leonardo cartoon was in a little room of its own. Yeah. And I remember I could just go in there in the afternoon and just sit for 10, 15 minutes and just be alone with that amazing drawing and then leave, you know, yeah. there was no tickets to buy or anything. So um, that, that's, that's a real, that's lovely. You know, that's, that's a great uh, treasure that in, in, in London, you can, you can just do that and pop in and see. Yeah, it takes that pressure off feeling like thing. you have to sprint through the whole thing. And and, and, and and there's also a point of exhaustion as well when you're looking yeah. at a lot of things. I think everybody has. Yeah. And you think, I've only got this one day, so we kind of mind, look at it in a different way. It's like when, um, you know, uh, how you be, if you get into wine at all, I don't know if you're into wine, but how your palate just, it's a, it gets tired. And it, right. everything starts to taste the same, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of that. They just kind of like your the your inner eyes just glaze over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't dodge my question, David. How did you? I, <laughs> were yeah, you excited? Were you excited? It. Were you thrilled? Don't did that feel like? Question. Did that feel? <laughs> yeah. It really, yeah, it did feel. I mean, you, you got, at a certain point in your career. I mean, when I first graduated, if just somebody had asked to exhibit one work somewhere, that gave me a great pleasure. You know, you feel that you're. Yeah. reaching a, 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 an audience and then slowly those, those you get more more used to those hmm. kind of uh, events and maybe one gets more kind of accustomed to them and and the the kind of the joy of it or the real excitement wears off but when i found out the british museum had bought a work 
I mean, it, it's, I'm still really happy about that. Yeah. It, it was yeah. really, it, it, A, because I'm, I am British. So, it, you know, you feel that your work has gone into this really major national collection. And, um, yeah, I mean, part of this whole making of drawings and, 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 and work in this way, being an artist, is that you leave something behind. And, and knowing that it's kind of being looked after for as long as that collection will exist is also, a, it's a really nice feeling. And being placed amongst, I mean, they've got an amazing, amazing collection of Michelangelo drawings. And I mean, you know, going back to, I think the 14th century, their drawing collection to the present day. Wow. So being in that, that kind of company as well, is kind of, it's, it's a really good feeling. I can say it's, it's interesting really interesting what you said about how you experienced that being in and welcomed in over and over and that feeling may or may not change it reminds me a little bit of this idea of when you're on a journey and it's it's a true adventure it's hard it's challenging and there are accomplishments that those early accomplishments feel the feeling you get in your body is probably about the same as as later feelings of accomplishment and it can be and it's it's okay to recognize that and instead of expecting, well, there's going to be a bigger show I'll be in later and that'll feel even better. It's like, I yeah. don't know if that's true, you know? No, no. Um, it, yeah, I don't know. I guess we just kind of like get used to it in, in a way. I remember, I remember the really tragic story of, it was Amy, from the Amy documentary on Amy Winehouse and she'd won the Grammy for Back to Black, the album, and she, but she couldn't be, she was, she was banned from the US. Oh. So she was in the UK and and like the the, the pinnacle of the, the greatest kind of music award she could have achieved, and she just said, "Oh, this would be great if I was on drugs." Yeah. She got kind of I, I, a I, I realized that that's kind of an, an addict speaking, but also it was just kind of this feeling of she'd achieved so much and had so much recognition that it kind of stopped, the, yeah. you know, in, in, on, on on normal terms, stopped meaning so much to her anymore. Well, and uh, and I think that 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 is something I, I kind of recognize, but at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm fully aware that I've not, you know, uh, done everything that I want to do in my career and certainly haven't, you know, reached maybe the publics that I want to reach hmm. yet. So I, I hold out hope that those great feelings of, of joy that I had, as I said, when the British Museum bought that, I hope that, you know, they will continue through the rest of my career. It would have been a pretty great answer if when Ron said that at the top of the episode, you said, yeah, it would have been really great if I'd have been on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with no context, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, I had a really visceral experience of this recently because I got accepted into my first solo show in oh, an oh. actual gallery. So I've done, okay. you know, like a cafe, wine tasting room, some, some stuff that all felt really, really good um, or in a gallery with other people in a group show, but to be accepted in is just my work. And I, I was overwhelmed with joy and I asked one of my professors, I didn't ask him, I went to tell him, you know, I said, hey, I got into this because he kind of repped me. And he, <laughs> it's so funny. He goes, he goes, I had no doubt you'd get in. It's it, it kind of, he didn't say this, but he's kind of like you were a shoe in, you know, and not because I was that great, but because that, that gallery, I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it kind of, he made it sound that way. And I was kind of surprised that by that, you know, because 
you know, it's still a gallery and it's, it's yeah. one minute. Was it a gallery at a Barstow truck stop on, on <laughs> Highway 5? It's the only gallery that's also a bathroom, but they only call it a gallery. <laughs> Where, you know, how, how do you define the term? When does a gallery become a gallery? It's a great. That's a good, good question. question. <laughs> um, but I, I was moved to tears. I was so happy. And I remember, because it's not my first time on a journey like this, you know, and I remember thinking, this is probably as good as it's going to get, you know, but you'll get to have this feeling over and over and over, you know, Yeah. it, it doesn't have to go away or get worse or, or maybe I, maybe I've just never been so far along a, along a journey where the successes start to be boring. But, <laughs> but uh, anyways, I think that's a really beautiful conversation around, around the, the experience of achievement and the feeling, uh, the feeling of it, you know, and, and yeah. what drives you and, and all that. So thanks for sharing a little bit of that. We saved your question, Ron. We turned it into a decent question. It was not easy. I mm, mm, appreciate that. That's so generous of you. It actually, <laughs> it actually reminds me of a conversation you had earlier of, of our possessions making us feel bright and shiny and new at the beginning, whether it's clothes or stuff. And then over time it wearing off. And, and as a parent watching my children realize that I've, I've a 16 year old and an 11 year old, and they're coming to terms with that in their life. Like they want things. And then, and then they realize like that thing doesn't fill the same void as it used to. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the feeling comes up again, Oh, I want something else. But eventually their, their, their ability to, to recognize like, Oh, more stuff isn't going to make me feel good again. And, and to them to wrestle with the existential dilemma of, of wholeness or of, of, um, uh, what's the word when you feel satisfaction and, and I think ambition, you know, I've, I'm wrestling with the idea of ambition and have my whole adult life is, is how can I be ambitious, have goals, want to achieve things, knowing knowing also there's a part of my brain that's like, well, what's it for? Because it's just this fleeting feeling. And I, I don't want to feel that way anymore. I want to, I want my per, me personally is I want to continue to be ambitious because, because I want to use all parts of myself to its fullest capacity. I mean, um, ambition is a difficult thing, isn't it? And part, yeah. partly we're, we're, we're told it's uh, maybe, maybe in the U S it's different, but here it's, it's kind of a, it's a little bit vulgar thing to, mm -hmm. to admit to. Um, but I have to say some of the happiest people I know are the least ambitious. Yeah. So maybe that's a big cliche, but it is actually true. I can think of two people off the top of my head who are totally unambitious. They're fine. They have a nice, you know, they've got enough, but they are, have no ambition and they're happy as anything. So um, it's kind of hard, I think, to reckon, reckon, to kind of deal with, I think, as you said, with that kind of like those existentialist thoughts of, of what will actually make us happy yeah um i think i've always said i'm ambitious maybe and maybe this is a, a, a cop-out but i'm ambitious for my work and I, but i'm not ambitious for myself mm. um, but one would perhaps argue back that my work is part of myself so i can't really perhaps make that uh, maybe it's slightly facetious claim <laughs> there was one of those um one of those near-death experience little clips that I watched yesterday and the guy who experienced it was uh, telling the story of it and he said that um, that the being that he came to ha in confrontation with was saying what did you do with your life and then he said one of his accomplishments and then the being said that glorifies you what did you do with your life 
and that was that was the gist of of the thing and i thought well fuck you know is that you know does that mean that the things that we do that we love glorify us at what point in time do they glorify something else and it's almost like you just spoke to that a little bit you know you mm -hmm. your intention with it uh the spirit with which you do it seems to be aligned with um it's not really about your ego or your ambition yeah i wish i could be that clear about that because i do think it's about ego i do think it's bubbling away there and i think it's like if if if, if the making of a drawing or, or an, an image um is in a sense yeah you, you could see it, you can make a kind of shield for your for your ego in a sense, you're saying, "Look at this, don't look at me." But, really? But 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 I do think that that's. Well, let me say, I notice when I'm at my most vulnerable as a person is when I'm not working on anything. And when I am working on mm. something, and I think that that work is progressing in a way that I want it to, that it's starting to have a life of its own. I feel at my strongest. But I, I, I and I've always put that down to kind of like, it's created a barrier. That, that I can show people this, that it will deflect from me and my inadequacies and my, you know, um, uh, insecurities. What's an example of you being more honest with yourself and more vulnerable? Well, what I want, does that look like? Before you, before you answer that question, David, I think there's a, there's a little bit of a qualification with the word vulnerable because I've realized in the UK, um, vulnerable often means uh, real weakness. Like we, we look at a vulnerable, we use the word vulnerable to, to, to uh, indicate that someone is in danger of some kind and they're, and they are yeah, um, being exposed to danger, like yeah. a war type of way to use it. Yeah. And in the United oh, States, we've, we have recently, I'd say in the last five or six years, started to use that word to indicate a strength in our ability to um, not hide. And, mm -hmm. and I think, I think Daniel's asking you a little bit, you know, kind of like a, yeah. When is, would you say that true, is true, Daniel? Yes. Yeah. So, so the, the question once again was. I'm just curious. You said that you feel more, can't remember the word you used. I thought it was honesty or vulnerability, but those meaning the same thing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, that when you're not working, you're more that way. Yeah. What does that look like? How does that show up in your life? Like privately between people or what? Um, I'm trying to think of examples. I think ju just, yeah. That, I think it's, maybe I can answer in, in, in a sense in, in uh, looking at, from, from another perspective that, that I, I realize it's there. I, I guess it's kind of just just normal life that I experience. I can't really say that I'm, I'm neurotically vulnerable and, and going through life in that sense, but I, I do feel an almost, almost, I do feel far stronger going into situations once I'm, I know that behind me or that, I, that, that I'm having this discussion, this dialogue with the work. Um, I wish I could be more specific, but it, it's so much a deep feeling. Yeah, I it's hard to really pinpoint when it's on, when it's like switched on, or when it's switched off. Because I don't, I don't really feel it like that. It's more that that security of 
knowing that I'm engaged with something that that allows me to speak to people, I think, or to approach people in a much more yes. confident way yeah. in whatever in whatever role I'm in at that time. It remind it, it, I see what you mean. It's like a state of being. Yes. And and an experience of of coming from a little bit of a different place or having yeah. less pulling you in, in ways that aren't, aren't you. I, I know when I am taking care of myself, there's just a different vibration to life. There's a different ex mm -hmm. wholesale experience of life that is just calmer. It's not as quick to fear. It's not as quick to take offense. Like all the things you said, security, like you, you've mentioned that. And I mean, I feel like that's one of the best, uh, experiences of life i experienced mm -hmm. this yesterday even because i just i did the things i needed to do for myself yesterday to a greater extent than i generally do and at the end of the day i just felt like oddly energized and calm at the same time and ron and i talked about this a lot you know and i mean we could get into the whole why we do or don't create that feeling and how we go about doing that but it's it's neat it's nice to hear you talk about that for yourself, when you're not working, you feel that way sometimes. Because for me in my life, it's, it's when I generally am working. Yeah. Yeah, I've just been moving studios. It's taken me two months. So I haven't been able to work. And I've noticed it then a lot. Wow. Like, I, I think it's, it's in a sense what Ron was saying. It, there's this kind of existential concerns. And if, you, if I'm kind of using my interaction with making images as a way of trying to figure out some of these questions for myself, which I think one, one will never figure out, but you go through the journey of life yeah. trying to look at them and think about them. But when I'm not, you know, when I'm not working, I'm not thinking about those. I don't feel I'm kind of having that kind of completeness that that may offer me. And so you, I guess you kind of, I feel that, that this kind of, again, to use the word, vulnerability or kind of exposed that you're a little bit exposed um my kind of as i said this this shield that the, the interaction with a, a drawing or a painting creates for me that's not there but but i think it's all i think it's an awful lot of projection what do you mean by that um projecting of uh, uh, of um you know placing myself onto another object as a deflection from mm. me as a person. And I think it's actually common of a lot of artists who, who, you know, who do this. I think that's kind of fundamental to one of the reasons that we, how we spoke of before about making handmade images. I think it's one of the things that we do. And you can, I think probably even trace it back to the, to the baby, the infant who starts to smear crayons and smear these things. It's like, how do I start to define myself through mark making and, and, and it's just in my position, I've taken it to the, to the ex extent that it's, you know, as, as an artist, it's an obsession. Has that so feeling, that, has that feeling been with you since you started art or has that feeling yes. evolved? No, it's always been there. Wow. It just gets more complex. I'm more aware of it now. So I, I'm aware that once I'm making something that I think, yes, this is working, this is doing something it's yeah. talking to me that that kind of yeah, that kind of closeness with the, the thing gives an yeah. enormous sense of 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 
um, what's a kind of stability in a, in a way. I'm not saying it's finished. I don't, I'm still going to have lots of problems, but it, I feel that there's a security I, I get from, from that. Um, and I'm really aware of it now, but I do think it's always been there. Yeah. I'm reminded of that idea that is floats around the art world of Picasso saying something to the effect of the hardest thing that he ever experienced as an artist was to learn how to uh, draw like a child again when he was later in life. And seeing that quote through the lens of what you just said, it's, it's, it's surprising. It's surprising mm -hmm. to hear that he would have struggled like that. And, and, and I'm curious, I guess what I'm surprised by a little bit is it sounds like you, you don't struggle like that. You wouldn't, would that doesn't sound like an experience maybe that you would have. No, I mean, I understand. I think he's speaking from a different, very different position to me. And I think my, the way I define myself through these making of these images is, is it, is, 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 Um, it's a different discussion. I, I think, uh, you know, I can't, uh, and I think what he was, he was striving for in, in, in doing that and saying that was, um, it came out of a very different place. And well, what do you mean? Mind. Like, what would that place have been? Well, I mean, for a start, he was, you know, in the middle of the, probably, I guess the first half of the 20th century was talking about that with, you know the, the world was a very different place and i think mm. expectations were very different i'm 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 making work in a digital age and and my and my um relationship to those drawings to those paintings is speaking from out of that 21st century digital um perspective and so so i think that the the, the when my work for me starts to work and have resonance and have agency i it's because of its. I can place it within that discussion of the, in now, and, oh, and I see the discussion yeah. that he was having was 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 yeah. to do far more with. I think with um, the the end of, of of academic painting and the and, and the modernist um, surrealist relationship to to the brutalities of the first part of the twentieth twentieth century. Yeah, that question doesn't apply to what you do. I see what you mean. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the digital age, though, because that's. You know something that's kind of defined your your career yeah. from a my standpoint and that uh, do you think that the handmade mark has become more relevant because of the proliferation of digital images now um i, I don't it depends on how you see relevant yeah i mean i for guess some when people, i, I yeah. get maybe a different word than relevant is, is like <clears throat> um desirable for some people, Ron, yes, but I think for a lot of people, they just could not care less. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think there's always going to be a population that doesn't give a shit yeah. because they're, there's all kinds of buttons they're hitting and they don't, their desires are full. But, for, but let's say for those who are sensitive, oh, oh, sorry, that sounds really patronizing, doesn't it? I don't mean that. Scrub that. But for those who perhaps are interested in are interested in, in looking at things for longer. Stay in your room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then i then i hope so i can't speak i can only speak out of experience can't i but i i do the, the conversations that i have with people when i'm uh, talking about my work or with students about their work it does seem to be that 
there is a real desire to 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 kind of create an antidote to that digitized image. But and again, I, I, I think as I said last time, you know, I'm not against the digital at all. I think it's tremendously democratizing um, image making uh, system. You know that we can all edit videos now. We can all uh, uh, take photographs that look semi-professional if you've got a really good iPhone. Um, that's great. The, these things used to be really um, curated for us by experts or television broadcast filmmakers. The fact that we all now have these skills, I think is, is, is um, you know, I, I'm completely, you know, I have nothing against it. I, I support it, yeah. but but it, do, it does indeed open up that question of like, well, what what is then the role of something that we've made by hand. And I do think it, it is speaking to people about, it does have a kind of enhanced relevance in relationship to that. And I think that people are searching out uh, drawings and paintings probably more yeah. in light of that. And you see the, the cues for the Rijksmuseum here in Amsterdam hmm. in a summer afternoon. You know, they go around the block, people just needing that, I think that kind of like, um, hit of of you know let's say let's say real indexical stuff. I had this experience one day. Uh, it was about ten years ago, and a friend of mine had gone to Burning Man. Right, I didn't know he had gone, but he had gone to this you know this incredible art festival, and and I have never been there. But as I understand it, it, it you get into such a, a a headspace. It's very different than society than normal society. And so, long story short, he I saw someone experiencing an acute, uh, acutely what you're talking about, and I I walked to a, um, a co the co-op the just a little grocery store, and I come around the corner and there's a mural on that side of the grocery store and it's nothing particularly special you know it's about the grocery store, but it was handmade, and someone put a lot of effort into it. And this guy, he's an acupuncturist, and he's sitting on the ground on one of those little stops for your car when you park, you know, just those little like concrete things. He's, so he's low on the ground. He's almost on the ground. And he's sitting, and I, as soon as I saw him, it reminded me of someone sitting close to a fire to get warm. And I looked at him, and he was just staring at this mural. And I said, hey, Adam, how's it going? And he go, and I go, what you up to? <laughs> And he basically said, I just, I'm just in this space. I got back from Burning Man and I just needed to see something that was created by hand. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, there's, um, for some reason, been a pro proliferation of new, really well done murals in Portland. I think part of it is, is because the city had suffered so much from the, the riots this last couple of years and the, um, opioid ep epidemic and really bad graffiti all over. Kids have been climbing on buildings and spray painting the sides of them with terrible spray paint situations. And 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 kind of the answer to that is a lot of businesses have been allowing super talented muralists to just go whole hog on the sides of buildings. And <clears throat> I've almost gotten a couple car accidents because I'm I like drive by and look at <laughs> you know a mural and think what talent is sitting there right there and we're just we're we're probably too all i can think about is we're too desensitized i know i feel too desensitized from all the images the scrolling the doom scrolling and and tv and media and all that that 
I I can't I don't even think I know what I'm looking at when I see something so well done and I now it kind of makes me want to go over there and sit <laughs> sit down and look at one of those things uh, I want to turn the corner a little bit David because I uh, I was going through your artwork and and was looking at an image that looked like it was taken in a in a Christian tent um, a service where there was a, a preacher holding a microphone to someone's face. Um, and this is just a pure indulgence on my part. I, want, I wanted to ask you some questions about that. Can you tell I'll me the context of what that. was going on when you, when you did that or produced that? Um, it, that that's a still from a video. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and the, uh, yeah, the, the, the work, um, how do I, where do I start it? I, it, it stems out of uh, uh, looking at videos of um, churches, Baptist churches, I think, in the US mm-hmm. that carry out kind of conversion um, exorcisms, let's yes. say, of gay or lesbian. Oh, gotcha. People. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the, I, I, Worked with four of these films and reversed the, reversed the, uh, the 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 film, and transcribed the sounds I was hearing into a song text, which I then sing, and it synced back on the on the protagonist in the film's voice. Oh. So I think the film is ten minutes long, yeah. And uh, and you have the, and it's put to this really high energy disco beat. So you have this reversal of these kind of what really quite um, upsetting rituals of, of these people, which being extreme, yeah. um, pretty much. Uh, where, I mean, it's abuse effectively. Yeah. Um, so the, the video, the video effectively takes this very simple premise that if you, if these words by these preachers are supposedly enough to cure somebody of something which is intrinsically part of their personality, i.e., their sexuality. Then by reversing them, that mm. gesture would say, well, actually, these words are going to mm. uh, undermine this ritual to place mm. this thing back and, and leave the person or, or give the person some care. So, so I created and also the reference to, to, to kind of this high energy disco music comes out of kind of the gay, uh, uh, obviously, the gay uh, uh, rights movement of the 1970s. So it was all kind of looking at how these kind of different languages could come together and, and create something actually, which is, I think is hopefully really positive. Um, that, wow. that video is now on show at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Athens. For any of wow. your Greek listeners. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I, that, that's an even better answer than I was hoping. I mean, um, because I, I come from that culture. That's where, that's where I was raised in and was, mm-hmm led to believe that I had to be in that world. I went to school to be a preacher like that. Right. And, and the whole time I kept thinking, like I didn't know to articulate this at the time, but I, but I there's a lot of par- parts of me that was trying to stop that and sabotage that experience. And, and, I, and, and even more so, I've met, I have met many people who have tried to go through those kind of conversion experience mm-hmm. to, I don't even, I don't even want to, you know, because they were gay and they were told that they shouldn't be. And, and I even had a stepfather who knew he was gay 
told my mother before they got married that he was gay and that in marrying her and in the pursuit of his faith, somehow God would reverse that out of him. And I'm sorry. It's bizarre. Oh, it's so it's it's so bizarre. I mean, yeah. I think I think some of it is is a lot. Of, I mean, I'll speak for him. He came from a very small town in a very rural place where, even without the religious stuff, I think he was uh, out an outcast, and um, I think he was looking for safety and belonging, and that's all he knew, and and was probably quite afraid of 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 loving himself enough to trust what you know what the world had for him. And uh, I think about him a lot. Um, he was a really good stepdad and he was in my life for the better part of 15, 16 years. Oh, and, wow. right. and so he was married to your mom for that long. Yeah. He was like, quote, trying to reverse that for that long. Well, it, it, he had a, he had a nervous breakdown after seven years and, and start yeah. and went back into that lifestyle after seven years and what lifestyle just expressing this he he no he was he was like dating men and and seeing men oh. after seven years and <laughs> and uh but wasn't he didn't you know i'm i used to have some judgment about it not because of of it being gay but because he because he wouldn't divorce my mom and just go accept himself and he just continued to stay in the in both the church and also married and and it was it wasn't for a long time it was after a few years after they were divorced that my heart really broke for him and i and i was sad i don't know where i haven't kept in touch with him um i don't know what's going on in his life i have i know nothing about him uh anymore but i but i spent the form of my formative years with him yeah. you know from the time i was mm -hmm. Gosh, like seven years old to my twenties, to my to my mid twenties with him. It sounds like you probably received more like fathering from him than your father. Oh, for sure, for for yes, definitely. And so that, so I I there's a I mean, and ultimately that's what led myself, David, out of out of the Christian experience here in America right. was that I um I couldn't agree with the, their stance on the, however they viewed the Christian, the homosexual mm -hmm. lifestyle and, um, and really was kind of not kicked out, but asked to not come back. Um, right. And I, I can get, get into a whole story on that one, I, but I won't, but I, I appreciate you telling me that because I, I didn't know the context that I love what you did, mm -hmm. the incantation the reversing of the incantation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's also, yeah, and it, it has this kind of, I mean, was it this this kind of phonetic reversal is is something that's also mm. been uh, for a long time. People have been very suspicious about it that the Beatles or was it Led Zeppelin may have mm -hmm. put these these Black hidden Sabbath, methods, yeah, 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 in in the songs. So I liked kind of tapping into that paranoia as well. Yeah, but, uh, but actually, beautiful. Uh, uh, it sounds like you have a little bit of a trickster uh, um, <laughs> aspect to you, a little bit of a um, counterculture wanting to stir the pot <laughs> aspect of you that comes through your art. I think I, 
I think gay people generally are counterculture. <laughs> whether they like it, whether they like it or not, they can be as white and 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 polit- politicians, whatever. But they'll always be kind of counterculture. But the minute, mm. certainly in the foreseeable future, we've come a long way. But we'll always be counterculture. Have you? This is one of the things. Uh, just to reiterate this point, the reason, the way I got introduced to you and your work was. Uh, my professor in school assigned you to me for a presentation. And and part of my presentation was expressing to the class the bravery that it takes, at least in me projecting myself into your experience, that it would take to live uh, an aspect of your life and your being publicly and to be making public statements about that and I was curious if you've ever um, if you have many people who express anger or threat threaten you because of your work and what it means and what you're saying um I haven't I haven't ever experienced that no but you know I it's a very it's a very kind of how do you say it a protected world in a sense you know, I live in and experience the art world, and it's 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 it, yeah. it 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 in a sense it's not the real world. You know, if yeah. I you know I could go out and maybe the work was seen by a completely different audience, then maybe gotcha. I would um, experience th- things along those lines. But I haven't really. Yeah, the only thing I've had was there was a a council. I had an exhibition in the north of England, a place called Middlesbrough. And one of the local councillors wanted to remove works from the show. They thought mm. they found it was inappropriate, which for me was great because you know you, it got in the national newspaper. <laughs> yeah. and like, oh, this is this! I couldn't buy this publicity. Brilliant. So um, that's the only real negative thing. Luckily, you know, I, in a sense, it, the, the, within the art world, we're, we're we're preaching to the to the converted here. You know, mm. people are listen, to the most people. accepting, the most liberal. The most open-minded, probably place that I could show them. So I couldn't really expect. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The only thing you perhaps get is just people getting irritated that you, you're obsessed with, technique or detail or these kind of stuff. Mm. Not, not yeah, about I've experienced stuff, yeah. some of that too. It's interesting to hear you say that last bit. Um, it seems like there's a sort of very common. I'm trying to avoid using the word zeitgeist because I use it probably once an episode. But yeah, you need to stop using that shit. Get that out of here. <laughs> There's a, a is, does ethos work? There's a, a very common. Um, I think everybody in the art world, to some extent, or the art world, uh, and maybe just people, um, to some extent, is pretty fascinated with and and exploring, loosening up, and more abstract and less doing things the way that they really look are sound dot 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 and um you know that's why you got assigned to to me as because (laughs) you know people see me as a realist and um not in the not a realist in the way i look at the world i'm a bonkers person but in in the way i create images and so uh um it was very cool that uh that that was the thing that brought me to you especially when personally you know i'm i'm exploring I'm exploring how to draw like a kid again, you know, and not, mm. not not aggressively, you know, but like last night I was painting on a painting and, you know, one of my professors said this line one time that was really helpful that they said, you got to 
and I'm not saying this would apply to all artists, but it worked for me. They said, you got to fuck up a painting about six times before you get it. And what that meant to me was taking a chance, take a chance, mm -hmm. you know, six ish times during a, a piece. And, and if it messes it up, that's okay. You know, it's part of the medium. You can go over it. And I, I've developed that to be a strength, but what ends up happening is that quote F up ends up, I don't cover it totally up. It gets covered up a little bit to some extent. It actually becomes something interesting via the process of going back over and continuing my process of layering and making things look the way they do. And so then you'll have this remnant of a past effort that was brave and courageous and, and, and maybe failed at that time. But when you add the work that came later, it turned it into something that actually looks, looks beautiful. It happens all the time. It happened last night, you know, I was taking the robes of this, of this monk who's running and taking the colors and putting them in other places in the, in the drawing, like they were in their painting, like they were coming and flying off and they looked really dumb at first. But then when I went back over them, they started to be subtle and beautiful. And, uh, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? This is, I was just, Daniel, I was just, somebody bought me this for Christmas, interviews with Francis Bacon. This is what mm. you should read because it's exactly what he talks about. I've, really? I've read the first two interviews and it's all about pushing something to the point where it's, it breaks. And at which <laughs> point does he, dis, does he mm. destroy the canvas? And at which point does he recognize that that mistake or that chance element is just what he's looking for? It's speaking back to him. And it's a real fine line, what he's saying between noticing the mistake for its beauty and, and, and just screwing it up and needing to, because he wow. famously got rid of, I don't know how many, you know, tons and tons of paintings. Really? Oh, I but that's, this is a real, that's what you need. It's a, that's excellent. Thank you. It's a visceral experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I decide now more often to quote, fuck up a painting, I'll go in with that mentality and <clears throat> I'll approach a piece, you know, generally after it's been sitting for a few days and be like, okay, let's fuck this thing up. And what that also could be mean is let's have some fun because the experience of it is that it's liberating, you know, and that's when I get to explore and allow my body to loosen up and, and, and let this other part of my brain turn on. And then, then that, that eventually reaches a point where it's, you know, the pressure is released and then now it's hey, let's re-engage with it, with that different eye. And it's a way that the child and the adult can exist in the same room for me. I love that you brought up Bacon. I, I, I don't really have anything to say about him other than I just love Francis Bacon. And I, mm -hmm. and I remember getting to just look hungry. at a fair amount of his works um, in England and forgot how much I liked it. Hmm. We can revisit that. What do you remember about Francis Bacon? How messy it was, but in a way that felt um, honest to me. Allowing, there's a kind of an erratic quality. I'm not a artist, visual artist by any means, but I, I really enjoy it. And I'm not a critic. I don't have a vocabulary to, that I, I don't know either. Either you would agree with anything I had said, but I, you know, I went to, um, I can't remember which museum it was in, but I, I, it was some, someone I returned to over and over again while I was there. 
So does that idea that you just that I referenced and that you referenced that is in bake, does that speak to you and do you do some version of that in your own creative process or even in your life? Are you talking to me? No, David, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean as you as you as you would speak of this I do it in a different way. Yeah. I don't do it through well, I mean I mean the idea of an expressive gesture or an expressive mark it seems to be kind of synonymous with a kind of Jackson Pollock splash or a bacon, you know, enormous uh, brush mark loaded with paint. And but you know that there's a whole scale of of, of expression. Yeah. There's a whole scale of expressive marks and my marks are extremely quiet. Hmm. And uh considered so it, it's I, I don't recognize um maybe that real physical gestural mark as something um yeah. that, that, that i necessarily need to do in order to be expressive but i think um but but if we're talking about taking risks within the work then yes but, but the risk comes at, 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 at maybe a different point I mean, certainly they go wrong. A lot of the works go really wrong, and then I've, I've mm. maybe done three or four or five times before I get them right. But in the final work, you probably wouldn't be aware of that. Um, so there is a process going on there of correction and and uh, 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 looking at things which uh, I'm unhappy with, but resolving them through... Uh, yeah, very, very considered, precise ways of making marks rather than, I think, uh, as you said uh, earlier, maybe from what I understood, how you, how you, how you work, that, that, that part of those mistakes, and, and as I was saying of the bacon, that those mistakes become part of it. I think mm -hmm. the mistakes come part of it, but it's, they create a kind of like a template in the way, in my hand in my eye, the way of looking and working and that kind of coordination that that makes me correct them later on. So there is that process going on, but to put it yeah. quite simply, the process takes place, but you don't see it. I see what you mean. Um, I don't, I don't, I would love to ask you more about and tease that out and exactly what you mean and how, you, how that looks. But I know we've only got like 10 or 15 I think minutes ultimately, see, I, in what I do, I'm obsessed with the perfect surface. I'm really obsessed with getting that surface. There's something about creating these surfaces. And then that surface that I create has a dialogue with the surface I'm now speaking to, which is a glass, black, reflected surface with, with your image on it. So for me, there's this relationship between um, how we, we, we kind of go to how we how i make surfaces and how kind of these kind of reflected things have existed throughout history and and i'm quite obsessed with with that um and i think always will be and to in in that sense that 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 kind of desire to 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 achieve that perfection which it, which i never will because <laughs> it doesn't exist means i need to eradicate the mistake so you are fascinated and obsessed with the surface, meaning anything that any flat two-dimensional thing that a human has left their mark upon? 
Um, uh, the, the surface, well, there can be many surfaces within an image, but, but ultimately the, 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 the surface that you interact with is one which, as we spoke earlier before, is one of indexes. Yes. So it, it's almost like you're kind of creating this this kind of kind of buzzing index of these this surface, which then has another life as or another another way of being looked at as as, as something of depth or something of light or something of of image uh, 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 illusion. But the surface itself is this kind of thing of graphite. It's this thing of of, oh. of marks being. Of, of, of things being teased out of, of, of paint, tiny paintbrush marks so 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 there's kind of like these two things happening the whole time um and and for me that uh, just within the, my way of being as a person slightly obsessive about those marks and about how they all fit together in the most comprehensive and functional and and of trying to avoid the word perfect, such as said it doesn't exist, but you see what I mean? It's like it's this this kind of desire that that that, that kind of drives you to get it more and more precise and more and more so um, accurate. If I could just take a stab at, at at repeating what you mean, you would say that the then that the surface right now that we're looking at is a very uh, shiny black um, extremely smooth, that would be a surface. And then another mm -hmm. surface would be, a, for the cave painters, a cave wall that is bumpy and that what you're applying to, and then you're applying something to that surface. We're not applying anything to the surface right now other than our words and captured light, mm -hmm. right? But then that part of the surface of the cave wall would then become what that person who is painting on the cave is applying to that surface, right? Then that also becomes part of that surface yeah. without... Yeah, well, um, but I think, for the, but it's just to come back also to, to to a question that came earlier of how this fits into a kind of a, a, a digital society, and, and to me that this is really fundamental that that we're experiencing images through these flat glass surfaces, mm -hmm. through screens, and, and what does that mean then? How what how do how my surfaces? How do I place them in relation to this thing? And you suddenly realize that, that mm. the history of art is one of surfaces. And, mm. you know, you, you look at all the, you go to the, any museum, these reflective glazed surfaces that we gaze upon. And, and this is in a sense, we're just in a 21st century version in a way of that. And so I kind of, I'm, I have no answer to this. There is no, there's no, I'm trying to just explain my method and my feeling. But it's it seems to me that, that that you place you know my works come to be placed within the culture we live in now and that is the services are slightly changed but they're still they're still there. In this yeah. journey of obsession for you, have you have you do you can start to consider every literal thing that we touch and look at to be like the surface of your life of, of your the, the thing that you're engaging with your walls the. Uh, um, beyond just the page and the canvas? No. No, I think I can make that distinction. I think for me, it's very much something that I, when I begun, when I start to engage with the materials I'm going to work with and how they're going to render something in a certain way, yeah. then I become aware of this kind of like creation of this, Got it. this kind of enclosed surface and how that then talks to a wider 
world of surfaces and screens. But I can't say that that now I'm sat on this this yeah. sofa and this surface. But I don't feel that that's then part of my work. No, I can I'm quite I can make that separation. It may come back later that that I'm I'm working on some 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 drawing and and I feel that in my fingers again this feeling of the sofa, and that kind of starts to translate yeah. into to how I draw it. But but at the moment I, I it, it's very much something which is happens in the studio and happens when I start to to work. I'm so tempted to just keep noodling at this because it's it's a unique thing that you're saying. I haven't heard it s spoken before, but I want to make sure that Ron, you're being represented here. Is that what do you think about what he's saying? How are you taking that in? <laughs> Good question. Good question. <laughs> uh, on a on a totally different side note, I just took a screenshot of you, David, talking because I found it it was almost like a portrait of you thinking and and. So I'll send it to you. No one will ever have to see it, yeah. but but I fucking loved it, and I wanted to remember it. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, what I was thinking of is like we we don't know. I actually, want to move on for a moment, but I kept thinking we don't know what reality is because we're seeing reality through the surface that David's describing, and and yet that's our only access to the outside world, outside of what we can like see immediately. And it and it's a it's both a gift and and um a burden and it, and only time will tell which is which one what would be bigger for us and it will be different mm -hmm. for everybody and I love that you are using it as a portal to something different and also as a medium for your um interpretation of what of of your feelings and your and what you want to say and, and the mark that you want to leave my question that i was i was hoping to get to thank you daniel for talking about the cave paintings um is when you're thinking about this stuff are you are you writing stuff down are you yes assessing this stuff yeah i've got the yeah why do you ask that Ron? Because it's really complex stuff. As I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm a, that intelligent of a person, and I'm as I'm, I'm trying really hard to keep up with both of you describing what you're. So I'm trying hard to keep up. With <laughs> and and it oh, seems like a lot of mental. But I do math. feel like I understand what you're saying. Like I, I just want you to know, I don't feel lost. You know, it's it's an interesting thing. Sorry, Ron. Go ahead. Well, I I how, how much processing are you doing, and in what ways are you processing it before before? I mean. It something even touches the canvas or the or the uh, surface and all you know you you read things and, and they spark ideas of think, oh this is part of what i'm doing you miss it i misinterpret an awful lot of complex philosophy you know and, and suddenly realize that my misinterpretation is part of has become part of the, hmm. the work in 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 one sense it's really really simple you know what we're talking about it's really simple yeah. It's the fundamentals of making images and why we like yeah. images. But, but the an inquisitive, but I'm, I'm, I'm too inquisitive to just leave it there. <laughs> so, so, so there's there's this kind of indeed an awful lot of processing goes. You you read things. We're talking now. I'll come out. You know, I'd probably come out with a a line that I'd never thought of before. Mm -hmm. and, and you suddenly realize that that's also part of it. So this thing is constantly evolving. And, and do I write things down? Yes, I try and write the most 
sometimes incomprehensible notes to myself mm. when something springs into my mind. Um, a process of 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 of, of reading something, uh, whatever, and it sparks off an image in my mind, and I see that image, and I realize, oh, that 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 is something I need to work with. And then two two days later, I realize it's the worst idea I've ever had, and that needs to be scrapped. But then six months later, a tiny bit of that comes back in. It's it's this constantly evolving kind of organic thing that's there as a kind of kind of brain almost kind of mm-hmm. pushing where and what and what needs to be in the work and then finally something kind of plops out and that thing is often so simple mm-hmm. it's so simple that it can be described in just one or two lines when i think of the where one place that this is this conversation is taking me is to a thought that was sort of half formed and half thought before that's taking on more life now as we speak and that is, I've often thought of when I look, when a person looks at something, whether that be a screen, and on that screen is someone in another country, like you're in now, or whether that thing is a, a page with writing on it and telling a story, or whether that is an, a single image, right? Or a mirror with the reflection of me. Like those are four dis, very distinct things that exist on a surface. But what is happening to the psyche that is engaging with that service, independent of the surface? If I read a story, that mind can be taken to a different emotional place, to a different mental place, to to potentially a different experience of their being, a different consciousness. When I look at an image of my, when I look at a mirror, I'm now folding my body and my image of myself back on itself and having a unique experience there that psyche does something different another image a single image a still image the question one of the great questions uh, one of the questions i ask myself is how how valuable is that single image compared to say a movie now i'm looking at that same surface that has that tens of thousands of images on it creating another experience in my mind and I, i guess i won't try to hash that out too much but the idea of this single thing that's close up that can usually we can hold it in our hand that we're looking into can take our mind in all of these different places in our consciousness to literally literally have different experience like vastly different does any of that like make sense or spark anything i'm curious yeah i mean it's for me it's it's comes down to really just some very fundamental ideas, just a very fundamental, simple thoughts. And how that then communicates with the viewer is, in a sense, once I place it in the public domain, is out of my control. But what you tr- what I try to do, uh, what I'm picking up on, Daniel, is is how, in a sense, how the various registers of image communicate to you, it seems to me, what what you were saying and 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 i can i guess you be responsible for certain parts of of, of that that process of of, of of communication with a recipient with a viewer but at a certain point it takes on its own life within a, within a gallery or museum situation um and and will start to do things which are out of my control at that point yeah. i think it's you know you, you have to accept that, that these things are nuanced but what I 
but it, but on, on, as I said earlier, it comes down to a very fundamental concept of, or sorry, idea just of what it really means to make marks on paper hmm. with, with pencil or, and, and taking responsibility for that and the possibilities hmm. of how, what that could mean, what that could mean in digital age, what that could mean in terms of uh, uh, visibility of certain groups that I work with, that I, that I draw. Um, and so I, c I can talk about that, but I think I can't talk in a wider level of how, for example, you would relate see a work of mine or Ron would, or right. you know, uh, a family member would, or, or something else. It's that's that is something which I can I can concern myself with, but I can't ultimately keep yeah. control over everything. I just have one more question about this. Not to be too much of a dog a dog with a bone here, but um, when you say that you are reaching, uh, you would like to and intend to reach this place of perfection. I know you don't like using that word, but I think we all know what you mean there. You, you have an idea or a feel for what is heading in a direction that you desire and what doesn't. What does, what does one of those, quote, mistakes look like? Like, I don't even know what that mean, what you mean. Does it look like a messed up mark with the pencil? Like, what do you mean with that? Yeah, it can be something that's really overworked. Oh. Uh, there's, there's a certain point when you're drawing, you, 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 uh, I think this is also goes back to a tutor of mine years and years ago at art school, said you you don't draw what you, what you think you see, draw what you see. And I'm, hmm. uh, at a certain point, if you start, for example, you know, th th if I, I sometimes say to myself, well, you're drawing what you think you see, or you're drawing what you think it should be like, rather than what it actually is like. And hmm. so that's one thing. And another thing is that the paper can just get loaded with with yeah. material or yeah. carbon or, or, or whatever and it's not workable anymore um another thing can be that it, i've just done it i just whatever it is just kind of doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like um uh this but there is yeah i, I think yeah, those the, the first two that I, that I said would probably be. The, imagine just something with a, a heavily worked in face or, or some part and that part of the anatomy which I've tried time and time again, over and over again, to 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 get right, and it has defeated me. And in the process, the paper has become totally destroyed. Yeah. And I just think, and then and the paper is obviously part of that surface that I'm trying for. And, and and I know now this 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 part of that surface which is is ruined. So it's then we start again, and I try then to learn from that mistake that, that you get some kind of you get a kind of almost like muscle memory in your hand mm. of how it should be through mm. doing that process time and time again to the point where maybe the third or fourth time that that it it's just coming. It's, it's like it's flowing out and and you're kind of so involved in in that place that you kind of know it's right that's, that's awesome um i'll just share in closing this uh little uh amateurs moment that i'm in that you'll probably crack up uh, about and if mm -hmm. i had 20 minutes to ask you i'd probably take advantage of it but the the art teacher uh the professor who um uh suggested you to me 
uh, one of the assignments that we had, um, I painted, uh, I drew, um, there's this theater, right? So this theater, it's a theater that I have a personal um, uh, relationship with here in town. And I was uh, wanting, and it's outside theater with oak trees kind of like arcing over, and I was wanting to practice the uh, for, um, foreshortening and the foreshortening of these extremely complicated things that are tree branches, right? It was tricky. I was trying to get tree branches to arc over a theater space. It was a cool idea, but it was beyond me. So I, I hacked it out, but I was also playing with different medium, oil pastel, which is not my favorite, and it's really... I learned pretty quickly. It just builds up super fast and then turns into mud. But so my, so it, it turned to trash, you know, but I was like, fuck this. What, what else can I do? And my teacher was like, you can, you can remove, you know, you can scratch into it. And I was like, cool. Okay, good. So I started scratching and scraping and that wasn't really working, but I was keep pushing it. And so part of my winter break, a little fun challenge for myself is to see if I can use different mediums and add on and scrape off. And if I can make this image come alive, you know, instead of just abandoning it, <laughs> so, mm. well, it's going to be war with the, with this surface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, surface problems. <laughs> uh, hey, thank you. I, oh, our intention uh, today in our draw and our little period before we talk was to take some of our discussions further that we started. And I don't think we did that at all. I think we just started a bunch of new ones, so we went um, on a different a different angle, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so someday I might show up in Amsterdam and message you and say I have a bottle of wine and would love to continue these discuss discussions. Um, you're, uh, of course. Um, he's gonna look through the people and just not answer the door. <laughs> so, you know, Daniel. <laughs> he's gonna like more, take his shoes <laughs> off and. Oh, walk backwards <laughs> actually Amsterdam uh someone another assignment last year of mine was to uh paint something that meant home to you and I wanted to live I instead of painting my past I painted my future and I chose a cafe uh a little apartment above a cafe that was and it ended up being in Amsterdam and maybe I'll All send right. you an image of it see if you know the place I shall yeah I shall uh, interpret your future <laughs> let you know why you strokes <laughs> but yeah do you have anything else to say it's just been great thank you so much this is it's really pushes me and ron no that's it was really nice speaking to you that was uh nice good chat yeah thanks a lot yeah thank you david i appreciate it i um i feel out of my element in some ways because hearing you guys talk it's clear that you have a passion for something i don't understand at all but i but i appreciate a lot I really do appreciate um, images and and a couple of things I want to say to both of you is that it's clear it's clear there's a passion that um, lives inside of you both that I'm that I just like being around even though I don't understand it all I like being around it so I appreciate that guys thanks for letting me part, be thanks. part of this thanks and thanks for your questions I really appreciate that yeah excellent thanks David have a great day okay yeah take appreciate care Bye, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for signing David Haynes. Field dressing. Field dressing, David. I just, Every time we do the field dressing, I want to make a joke about the... Don't do it. Don't do it. You don't have to bring it up this time. <laughs> about the... Stop. But, nope. But... Nope. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> you know what I felt today with David is... Um, and I feel this, I've actually always felt this in museums. And I and I, I think I was just now understanding the feeling. 
and that is a certain amount of reverence for art that comes from an acknowledgement that the person who's creating that art has spent countless hours creating those images and then under extreme vulnerability, bringing them to the public eye for us to just shit on and talk about and be like, oh, I love it, or that's trash. And, and then to do it over and over and over again. I don't, I don't think I understood that, that that's what I was seeing and accepting and, and enjoying um, until just today. And, and for some reason that feels really sacred to me, like a, like a church experience, like being in a ceremony with someone, even though they're not there and I may never meet them at all, but to, but to see their kind of offering to the gods of humanity. I mean, that's, that's pretty romanticized. <laughs> Just the way my brain works, dude. I think there's a lot to say there, man. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, the, yeah. the opposite also exists. People spend very little time on something and couldn't care less what people think of it. And they put it out there, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? That happens too. Oh, and that's probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have no, no understanding. I have no, no clue. I'm projecting totally on you, that idea. You're under, undervaluing your, listen, anyone who's like been experienced as much, as much life as you have, as much feeling, um, I know you like art. You're underselling your your ability, your your appreciation of art. I know you an active art collector. You know, like you know places to go and and you have your opinions. And don't get hung up on the words, man. Your words are your words. My words are my words. David's words are David's words about art. And the art like world has certain words they've landed on. But we can still communicate. You know, yeah. So just because your word might be different than mine, and mine might not be quite quite aligned with David in the art word world as at as you know as a whole, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I'm not understanding what you're saying. You're not understanding what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but, man, I, I I think about this with going to school for art. You know, I got frustrated for the first semester I was in school because it was like, where I was going there to learn how to be a professional. You know. Yeah. And a lot of people were there bringing like the experience of art as therapy into the class. Ergo, they don't want criticism, you know, right. even if they say they're open to it, you can tell they're being, they don't want it. But as another semester rolled by, I realized, oh, I, I have a, I do art for therapy too. And I actually, this is, this is therapeutic. And I bring my bullshit into class, Yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes too much. And I was like, oh, I do my version of that, <laughs> you know? So yeah. art is, to teach art in a college is an interesting experience. To learn it in a college is an interesting experience. And it relates to what you said about, yeah, we're putting this this surface that is reflective of something yeah. of us outside of us for others to look at and then talk back at us in, in very, to varying extents and to varying degrees of kindness. <laughs> There's a wild danger in pursuing an education to fix yourself. And it's really common in um, mental health and in theology, uh, even in yoga and some of those other like Eastern modalities where people pursue things because they want to, they want to like fix that part of their life and then somehow 
turn it to a, a job and it can fuck them up. It, <laughs> I say job. that from experience. <laughs> you turn it into a job. What do you mean by that? Well, you, you mentioned uh, artist therapy and, and the person, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to it from there, but from that position, but I can speak to it from people who I've, I've met a lot of folks who got into theology because they were, they, they thought that being a theologian of some kind would create uh, peace in their life because they would have access to spending more time understanding who they thought God was. And instead it turned them completely off from any kind of spiritual path. And, and yeah, I guess I see what you mean. Yeah. And, and I've seen it happen also in the mental health care world where people go to become a therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist yeah. really because they're, they're trying to get, get better. And, and then, then what happens is there's this crazy resentment between the world and profession of that modality and they're also experience of trying to get better and and it sounds like that's kind of what happens sometimes with people in the art world where they go you know thinking like oh i don't know what else to do or maybe if i if i understand myself through this and i'll i'll have more peace and um yeah i mean that's its I own i see what you mean you're, yeah. you're basically saying taking that thing that is a therapeutic thing you know and then turning it into a job is not always the best idea not always the best because <laughs> i was gonna say like sometimes people just fix themselves you know like you oh yeah you there are ways that we can be broken and heal you know? yeah. And, yeah and i think this idea this fascination that the world has with imperfection and with flaw is burying this other part that has been overexpressed in the world which is that part that we can get better and fix ourselves and be like closer to something we desire you know, that exists too, you know, and that's okay also. Accept certain flaws that you can't fix or if you don't want to fix and fix ones that you do. Those, both of those things can exist. One thing I wanted to ask Dave and, that, uh, and I didn't get to was really the, 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 and this speaks, and you're just talking to it a little bit is like, as an artist, and you were talking about this too, so maybe you can speak to it a little bit. Like you said, you went to school to be a professional, and that means to to trade your art for money, to have your art in the world that has value, monetary value, that you then get something for it. And I was curious about that in him too, because his, as he's been celebrated and, and certainly collected, I'm, I'm sure, what is that? I mean, you've, you've been, you're right at the beginning of this and I'll ask you, I will, I'll save the question. I'll, I'll just ask you, what's it like to actually see your work purchased and for you to get money for that, for that product? What's it like? Yeah. Um, it's like catching a fish. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're like, that was fun. I got connected to another being. I'm uh -huh. listing the, the things that it's the way it's like that. But this comes from our conversation with Jordan Jonas. Great conversation with Jordan Jonas, right? And he was like, yeah. there's nothing like being out in the wilderness and you like catch an animal and you know you're going to eat. The clarity of I'm hungry, I need to go eat. And I look yeah. at creating art, the professional aspect to it. I'm yeah. not going to school to be to sell work, to learn how to sell work. I'm going to school to become a better artist so I can so I can live off of it, you know, and so I can, it's, it's not, it's not just 
binary like i'm going to do this to do this there's many right. multiple reasons but but they're fucking man when you sell a piece of art that's like all of the skill and the magic that it takes to lure hoodwink a fish to eat something that's gonna do the opposite get yeah eaten. um it it it's like you're connecting with another being in a live unexpected way you're gonna eat you know yeah going to be sheltered that fish is going to is going to bring you know more life to you and just the visceral experience the surprise and the delight you know i sold i sold something and i am blessed this way i don't know what it is man i actually do i i've lived art is not my first round at being a professional i've lived several lives you know i was a runner mm-hmm. i was a martial artist i was a dancer i was a writer a playwright a journalist right there's several things I've done for money. I've taught all those things. Um, and because I know so, so many people in so many places, I've traveled, I've connected to those places. Those are the people that got me through the first few years of being an artist and selling. It was the people who I already knew. And through social media, those people that I knew someone that fucking ran with 20 years ago on a team, I'm contacted, you know, I'm connected through Facebook. So, but when I post something online, that's casting my line into the water, you know? When I put a yeah. show up at, at a public place, that's casting my line into the water. And mm. when they bite, it feels as good as anything. It felt as good as it did to create it, almost. That's cool. I, I appreciate you answering that. Really reminded me of the Hadza people in Africa who are the last true uh, hunter-gatherer folks, some of the, among the last on earth. Who, who have to hunt and gather for their substance. And I, I was thinking about it earlier during the conversation with David too, and I, I'm glad you brought it up because um, they were asked, what's the happiest day? Uh, uh, as individuals, they were asked, what's the happiest day of your life? Your happiest memory. Mm-hmm. And, and all of them separately without being, without conferring together was the day that I killed the big animal for the village. <laughs> Same thing Jordan said, remember? Yeah, yeah. Like the day that I was the one who brought meat home for us and yeah. we could, we could live a few more days because of that. Dude, I have a, fu- sorry. That's it. I have a, a, when I sell something tradition now, and mm-hmm. that's that if it's appropriate at some point in time, me and that person celebrate, you know, I, I had, was blessed with a sale of three pieces from one person who I didn't know relatively recently, multiple thousand dollar payday. This is, this is huge for, for me where I've been at in life. You know, I've done that many times, but every time it happens, it's like, I just got another month of making mm. paintings. Like you just gave me four more paintings to make, yeah. you know? And that person, why hooker by crook, we decided to have the swap be them coming to my house to pick it up. And, you know, I was like, they were nice and I was, we were getting along chatting and I was like, do you want to celebrate this with me? And do you want a glass of wine? You know? And we just sat there and celebrated art. We celebrated our lives. We connected, you know, it was lovely, man. That's awesome. And every time it happens, I, if it's possible, I do that because it is such a cool thing for them. They're going to, they're putting their earned money there into something they're going to take home. And that, you know, that surface that I had such an intimate experience with is now going to mean mm. something different. And the last time I, I, this happened, and this has happened a couple of times, people go, this is going to be a family heirloom that's going to be in my in my family for generations. Thank yeah. you. Very much. It's just like, 
fuck, man, you're just like paying me on top of the paying, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It probably feels similar. You ask that question, chuck it back at you. I can see you getting itchy. I know you want to go, but like, it probably feels similar to the things in your life. Do you ever feel that feeling? Um, you know, I was thinking about that during the conversation with David and, and a memory came back to where I wrote about two or 300 words of my grandmother's family's experience of being dust bowlers. And it was kind of a poem and I wrote it on my iPhone in a pharmacy waiting on my medicine to be ready. And I read it and I loved it and I reread it and I loved it more and then I lost it. And I, and I can't quite remember what I wrote, but I remember being really proud of it and, and that and no one bought it. No one saw it. I think Morgan re read it, but, uh, but it felt like landing a fish like deep down in my bones. It felt so good. Um, and I've, you know, I've had those experiences of like landing the business deal or making the sale or those kinds of things. Uh, but as far as like something I created for, for just me, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's been different experiences of fixing motorcycles or, or building something with my bare hands, um, not, you know, tools, but, you know, building something by hand or, or cooking and people love it. Um, those are my experiences with that. Um, I, I thought you were going to say when a coaching client contacts you and pays you a lot of good money to, you know, that's a, it's interesting you say that because I've, I've gotten, um, I think maybe to David's point, like it's, um, in the early days. Yeah. I was just like, holy sh you know, like, like marching around, like this feels so good. Now it feels like this is what it should be. And, mm. and, um, I should have, not that I feel deserving of it, but it's like, no, this is, this is my job. And, and it's just another person to help. And I mean that, and, and I, I have a lot of reverence for that. You know, like it's a, it's a very reverential thing. But that it's I get different. To do. It sounds like it's different than what we're talking about. Yeah. I, I think where the feeling comes in is, and this happened to me this last, um, so, so, you know, I got to the end of the year and I was talking to my clients about the work we've been doing together and how they've enjoyed it. And, and we've, I've worked with a number of guys for a long time and especially through this year and 2022 is a hard year for, for a lot of us. And in hearing them say to me, I couldn't have done it without you was, that was the feeling of triumph for me. Um, and, and the money's great and it helps me to pay my rent and feed my family and pay for my car and all those things. But the, but hearing that was its own special, amazing prize that just fucking felt amazing. It sounds like, like really for you, the, the one that would be the version of Jordan catching the game and me making a piece and it sells and that I'm proud of. It sounds like it would be you selling your writing. Yeah, I, I probably, and I, um, yeah, that feels on hold for me at this moment. I understand that. But yeah. like, it's funny that when I, when I was like, well, what about you? You were like, it was a writing thing was something you'd written because the yeah. thing is with art, yeah, yeah. you get paid twice at least, Yeah, you know, every time I make a piece of art, I celebrate. 
Yeah. You know, I finish it because it's a, it's a fucking dogged journey to do it. You know. Yeah. It's hard for me. It's not easy. It, it, it's come hard, and there's it's getting easier. You know, as time goes on, as I learn myself, learn how to do it, learn the process, learn my snags, get through my thresholds, blah blah blah. But man, when I finish that thing and varnish it or frame it or whatever, whatever it is that that piece means done, it usually means a varnishing and, a, and signing the back and framing it. Hmm. Um, that's like the ritual to send it on its way. I celebrate that moment and I feel as good as I've ever felt in life. <laughs> ever. And yeah. then you have it and you get to show it to people and you get paid a second time when other people go, dang, man, I had this experience. You're like, so you get paid residuals, like little, mm -hmm. little shots. And then someone buys it, boom, and you get paid again. <laughs> you know, it's just like, fucking A, man, what a great mm. way to live on mm. them. You know, this mm -hmm. is amazing. That's cool. Uh, one day, one day for me. Yeah, I know, you, I know you're putting your effort into other things, man, but yeah, life is long. And when you're a it writer is. or a painter, your profession can be long. You could start a career yeah. 10 years from now. I have I have a, a lot of hope for my writing, and I, I know that there is certain responsibilities I need to really pay attention to at this stage of my life. And trying to turn writing into a profession is not, it gets to come later yeah, I when you. I have more bandwidth. I got you, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for bringing David back. I'm really glad we got to speak with him. And I'm looking forward to speaking among the creative world more. I don't know if he's, just kind of quiet, but he didn't take the fish. Speaking of fishing, he didn't take my little line of, yeah, I might show up in, in Amsterdam someday with a bottle of wine. And there was like this little pause. It's like, <laughs> he was just like, just quiet. I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe this is the last time we'll ever talk. I fucking like him, man. I like him. Yeah. I really like him. He's, he's got such a bright mind and he's, yeah. he doesn't, he's not afraid to consider and think. And, and he's, you can tell he's very courageous and brave. And he's also, far down an ability and a skill he's done and you know i, I i'm a fan of his well that's why i that's why i took a screenshot of him talking mm. when he, he was like in the middle of i think maybe the most thoughtful response to mm. on his run and and the way he looked at that moment he looked like he was in deep thought but but teaching as well but he was he wasn't he wasn't in a hurry to get out of the discomfort of thinking and i thought and i and in that moment i thought I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing something really great at this moment i want to remember this so i took a screenshot of it and i, I loved when he was talking about being obsessed yeah you, know? you don't yeah. hear that very often and sometimes you hear people say that but you're like yeah. you don't really mean that i don't think you, i don't think you oh i think he meant it oh, yeah no 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 yeah yeah agreed yeah. you know yeah the way he said it i was just like oh yeah. It's actually kind of rare yeah. that you hear someone admit to that yes. and, and give themselves over to it. It and made me it. think of um, the climber, Alex Honnold, who free soloed El Capitan. Yeah. Someone asked him, you know, what is it? And he's like, it's the closest I've been to perfection. Mm. And to the point where he's willing to risk his life literally to do it. That's real. And I, and I thought about that with David, like he's, this is real for him. This is this obsession he can and is allowable. That's not common. I don't think that's common for for a lot of folks to get to do. Hmm. Well, uh, well, yeah, that was special. Uh, it was do, special. I, I will say the other time. This one I want to finish with. Yeah. 
The first time I felt in our, in this podcast, the deep feeling of, of like, of a reward that's beyond my understanding was somewhere in the interview with David McRaney. The conversation was so good and so rich that I thought, holy shit, this is, this is payment. This is the first payment I've ever gotten for this. And I want to keep doing this. I don't want to stop. Took that long, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That wasn't the point of your story, was it? Fuck off, man. (laughs) Go find us some more guests. It's like episode 65 or something, man. Where you been? (laughs) You son of a bitch, man. 65 episodes, Ron's like, yeah. (laughs) It wasn't 65. It was earlier than that. It was in the first year, right? (laughs) I don't think so, buddy. (laughs) All other past guests are just like a little below our lips quivering, crying. It was a great conversation. Hey, uh, I, I did have it on my to-do list today uh, just to ask people, um, make sure we mention it on, this, on, the, on the podcast to uh, feel free to support us on Patreon. That's, that's one of the things that we do that allows us to keep doing this. So would love, Absolutely. Would love that. Look it up. Uh, there's a way to link there directly through the, uh, the bottom of the podcast descriptions um, on each episode. Yeah, please do that. And while you're at it, leave us a nice review. Oh, I love those reviews. Which you can do on either Spotify or yeah. Apple Podcasts. Or leave a terrible review. Leave a review that, that's honest. That's the important thing. No, don't do that. Do you buy that? Shit? You can you can be honest, <laughs> but just still do five stars. Thanks. You're like, if you have some if you if you're not happy, just message us. You, you know, I've never message. read I've 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 looked at a lot of podcast reviews. I've never seen one where someone's like, This is bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think people save that for restaurants and and uh app reviews yeah interesting all right man well i love you let's do it again love you too man see you later bye-bye